0: I felt like I was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy or something because they, they pressed a button, the announcement goes off, then like a thousand people came into the room. Like it felt like a thousand. They come in, they're wheeling stuff and then I'm still in pain, people. I cannot physically walk. I can't get out of my bed. I'm watching another woman at 24 weeks give birth and I'm at 26 weeks. Every hour, every- Hi everyone, and welcome to the Vanamai podcast. My name is Takun Budzi, and I am the producer of the podcast, and I'm also the co-host. I've been co-hosting the show with my friend Rita, who's in Broome, and you might have also heard you might have also heard Auntie Jackie pop in. She's in Melbourne with me, and we've had different guests on the show so far. So today I'm going to do something a bit different. I'm going to read you a pitch that I submitted to a magazine for a very personal essay that I wanted to write. This essay came about from an experience I had last year and it was probably one of the most scary things I've ever done. Imagine an author that you love so much suddenly says, Hey, all you writers out there in the world, why don't you submit a story to me and I'll put you in my magazine. So I saw this and went, Oh, What could I possibly write that would, you know, just be a true story for myself, but also challenge me as a writer? And my biggest thing has been, um, how do I tell stories that are personal to me in a way that feels honest, but also in a way that might inspire hope in other people? And so I submitted this um, story pitch for a story that I've called Fabio, the ugliest fibroid in the world. Um, And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through the pitch and then um, hopefully you get a sense of what I wanted to tell. I haven't written the essay and I'm not sure that I will, because now that I reflect back, it feels like this was half the essay. It wasn't quite a pitch. You know, pitches are meant to be short and sweet. Um, But yeah, anyhow, here is my pitch for a personal essay that I wanted to write Fabio, the ugliest fibroid in the world. I always imagined he had unruly, unkempt hair and menacing teeth as he chewed at my insides. And no, I'm definitely not talking about Fabio Lanzoni, the Italian-American actor who became the face of romance novels under the Mills and Boone, Harlequin Publishing imprints. No, I'm talking about Fabio the 8 x 11 by 9 cm uterine fibroid that degenerated during week 26 of my first pregnancy and rendered me completely powerless, unable to walk for two weeks and fearing for the life of my unborn child. I want to write about how I'd never heard about fibroids until Fabio showed up in my 7-week ultrasound scan and how I catapulted into a crash course on how fibroids commonly affect women of African heritage. I want to write about how I spent countless hours talking to non-African or non-black medical professionals in Melbourne who were kind and technical but still couldn't quite reassure me I'd be okay. I want to describe the migraines I got from trawling through online pregnancy forums searching for answers about this weird ball of muscle that was growing inside me, taking up the valuable space my baby needed to grow properly. I want to write about the fear, the absolute fear, I mean the absolutely debilitating fear and pain I felt the first night Fabio started degenerating after a beautiful romantic movie and dinner with my fiancé. I want to talk about how we rushed to the emergency department and waited six hours to hear that Fabio was just acting normal and to just keep an eye on him. That was also the week of our week 20 ultrasound. I want to write about how Fabio, quite visible in my scans, behaved himself for a few weeks, enough that I happily soldiered on and ignored him. I had a novel to write with a ridiculous goal to finish it before my baby arrived in a few months' time. I want to write about that day in week 26 when I spent the whole day, and I mean the whole day, compiling three writing grant applications, complete with support letters from my publisher, budgets, supporting material, and a snazzy updated artist profile to prove why I deserved the government's money to write my first YA novel. By evening, I'd submitted two applications and was too tired to get to the third, but I went to bed feeling very powerful and satisfied with myself. After years of unsuccessfully applying for grants, I felt good about these. I felt so good. But Fabio wasn't having that. The hours of sitting on my office chair watching me in delicious writing flow and boss mode had him triggered. He legit blew up and I ended up in ER again that night. I want to write about the six hopeless days I spent in hospital. What happened in the weeks after I left. The good, the bad and the ugly. What happened to my baby and why Fabio is still on my mind almost a year later. Why this story and why now? I was born in Zimbabwe and in 2002 moved to Australia alone when I was 19. I've lived here without my immediate family ever since and have been fortunate enough to grow my own beautiful village of friends and family down under. When my Australian partner and I found out we were pregnant, we and our families were ecstatic. But experiencing my pregnancy showed me how much I didn't know about being pregnant as a black woman. Being pregnant as a black woman in the diaspora being pregnant as a black African woman, being pregnant as a black African woman in the diaspora, and most of all, being pregnant as a black African woman who makes art in the diaspora. Fabio became the thing that opened uncomfortable, beautiful, confronting, heartwarming, surprising and frustrating conversations with so many people, including my devoutly Christian mother in Zimbabwe, whose animistic beliefs had her convinced a family member was jujuing me from across the oceans, my black friends, some of them who can't have babies because of Fabio's of their own, and my publisher and writing mentors and colleagues whose unexpected compassion I didn't know how to deal with. I want to write about my experience because I couldn't find enough of these super specific fibroid stories when I was going through this tough time. I want to explore writing more candid pieces about the real things in my life and challenge myself to use humor to inspire others who need it. Two of my best friends in Australia, one a Ugandan dancer and the other a Kenyan singer, are currently pregnant and we talk babies all the time. And I'm contemplating producing a new podcast with my besties for young Black African art-making mothers in Australia so we can support each other, especially through laughter. I want to write this story because this is my way of gauging if women beyond my friend circles would find it interesting and would potentially want to share their own stories. And why am I the best person to write this piece? This is literally the recent story of my life and it's on my heart to share, even though it feels completely, totally counterintuitive to the work and profile I'm trying to build for myself in my official writing career. I'm still working on that young adult novel, producing my first kids' TV show, and podcasting about writing. Silly as it sounds, it feels like I have a duty to write the story because I want to inspire hope in those women and people who are experiencing any fear and powerlessness about their fertility, pregnancies, and new motherhood. And my heart is especially soft for women from underrepresented groups in the arts. More than anything, I want to share hope. I burst into tears halfway through writing this pitch. Stopped and literally smothered my 8th month old daughter with kisses. She is beautiful and perfect and strong and happy. And weirdly enough, hard as it is to explain, I remember feeling her telling me that on my first night in the hospital. Fabio's fight was always with me, not her. She was totally fine all along. So you've heard my pitch and... That's pretty much what I wanted to tell. That's the story I wanted to tell. And let me tell you that when I got my rejection email, I was so relieved. <laughs> I was so relieved because I think it must have been about six to eight weeks since submitting it. And in that time, I started to feel like, oh my gosh, how how am I gonna actually write this story? It's such a big story. And oh my gosh, the pressure and also there was the side of me that was absolutely terrified that what if they say yes, what if they say yes, write that story? How would I write it? So as a writer, then I started thinking, Oh my gosh, how would I? But also I still felt really scared to share it because it was so personal. And yeah. So, so what came out of that is once I got that email to say they weren't going to accept my pitch, I breathed a sigh of relief and I went, oh, okay, phew. Okay, great. I don't have to deal with this anymore. Great. Let me just go on about my life. But the heart of that was there for months. So that rejection then suddenly became this quiet fire to still tell the story. And in that pitch, you heard me write about uh, wanting to start a podcast with my friends who are pregnant. So that's Rita and Jackie. And so it just still sat on my heart until I realized, no, I need to start the podcast. And that's what we've done. And now it's just the best thing ever because of the responses we've had and the conversations we're having and the fact that I am free to just share things that I've gone through that I'm hoping will um, help other people who might just need that, that story or that experience that's kind of like theirs, but maybe not quite, but just having that information available. So um, I've just gone onto the internet and I've put in fibroids and a Google search and I'll read what it actually says they are. Fibroids, also known as uterine fibromyomas, are non-cancerous growths or lumps of muscle tissue that form within the walls of the uterus in the womb. Fibroids can vary in size, ranging from the size of a pea to the size of a rock melon or even larger. And it says that there are non-cancerous growths in the uterus that can develop during a woman's childbearing years. And the cause of fibroids isn't well understood. Risk factors include a family history of fibroids, obesity, or even onset of puberty. Symptoms include heavy menstrual bleeding, prolonged periods, and pelvic pain. In some cases, there are no symptoms. Treatments include medication and removal of the fibroid. Now, I won't go into all the gory details, but I think I just wanted to share what I went through going to the hospital um, during week 26. Oh, gosh. I wish I could explain this pain. You know, they normally say, oh, what's the pain level out of 10? I spent... Six days with my pain level sitting around eight and nine, nine mainly. And I was on all the medication, painkillers, endone, um, like drips. And the pain just felt like a sharp, like sharp ripples on my side. And so what happens when a fibroid degenerates, um, so it's this ball of muscle that sits within the womb. It can either sit actually in the space where the baby is or it can sit in the lining of the the uterus. Um, But essentially it's a ball of muscle. So as your hormones um, develop during pregnancy to help your baby grow and just to prepare for your baby, they actually help the fibroid grow. And it also draws some of those... um, It draws some of the blood uh, from the baby or from your womb. And so it it grows. It it has blood flow. So what happens is as it grows, it it gets to a point where then some of that blood flow starts to get cut off. And then that's when it can degenerate. So degenerate essentially means implode on itself or just fall apart. Because now it's going, oh my God, you're not feeding me. What's happening? And so... I ended up calling my fibroid Fabio because throughout my pregnancy, it would always show up in the scans and we'd laugh about it. And I just needed some way of laughing about it and almost personalizing it so that I could actually cope anyway so i went to to the hospital and because i was in pain i was having these uh spasms that they almost felt like contractions from the pain they thought i was gonna have my baby early so they had to check me was i dilated i wasn't at all obviously at 26 weeks and um but the pain was constant it did not go away i could not walk i was bedridden i had to be in a wheelchair from this fibroid and so when all of this was happening i'm online trying to google like what is this what's happening degenerating fibroid and then these forums come up with women from all over the world writing about it but i just couldn't find anything that that was specific for Australia or even black women talking about their fibroids degenerating. And then, you know, I was talking to my mom and I was like, Mama, what's this? Have you ever had this before? She'd never really heard of it. Um, Other people were just like, oh, not quite. And then some other friends were like, oh, yeah, I've had fibroids removed because I can't have a baby. Or, um, you know, they've had fertility issues where they've... um, remove them and can't have a baby because of that or they've needed to remove lots of fibroids to then try and have kids so then I realized just how um how common they are but we'd never spoken about them even as a young girl you know we were never told about these things and so that kind of made me so frustrated because I thought I don't want to wait until I'm in the situation to suddenly realize this is something that can happen And like I said, in the pitch, the medical staff were, they were pretty cool, but they were also sort of very medical about it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a fibroid. Okay, no, we'll just do this. We'll do that. We'll keep monitoring it. And, and (laughs) yeah, eventually I had to make decisions about how I was going to go into labor, how I was going to deliver my baby because of this fibroid. In the end, my daughter was breached. They couldn't turn. She couldn't turn around because the fibroid was that big. It was just kind of hanging in the corner. And so then they tried to turn my baby around. It's called ECV, I think. I can't remember what it stands for. But essentially two doctors come and they try and physically turn your baby around. This was after week 30 towards the end there. And nah, she couldn't move. This huge grapefruit-sized fibroid was there. And... um so gave up on that and I eventually had to have a caesarean, uh, which was totally fine. Maya came out beautiful, amazing, normal growth, nothing, nothing at all. Like she was fine. And so what I wanted to share with this story is that um, I think just if you are looking to have a baby or if you've had one or you're pregnant, I think. The thing I learned the most was just to um, listen to your body, listen to your baby, and ask lots of questions, do your own homework. Oh my gosh, there were so many times we went in to catch up with a doctor or a medical person, and I was telling them stuff like, you know, they're looking at the scan, going, oh, what's this big lump there? And I'm like, ah, it's a fibroid. I have a fibroid. And, you know, yeah, so. I think I think now that I've shared this I hope I hope it helps someone even one person to not be afraid to ask the questions and to find out more information and then specifically if you have fibroids at least I am one person that you can see or ask if you have questions um yeah I've been thinking about do I share this story or not but okay I will Um, when I was in the hospital, it must've been maybe day four, I was in, I was sharing a room with another African lady and she was lovely and she already had a kid and, um, she had another kid, but she was also expecting. And, um, it got to a point where both of us were groaning. We were groaning from pain. So I was groaning constantly constantly from imagine you know the sounds of someone giving birth I was constantly groaning from that pain of the fibroid degenerating and just um just causing me so much pain and then this lady was groaning because she was going into labor and I remember you know she, you know she came no the doctors came in to do a checkup because they kept checking her uh because her waters had broken uh they broke at about 24 for 22 or 23 weeks, so what happens is, once your waters break, especially that early, you have to stay in hospital, because it's actually not safe, in case you get an infection, so she'd been there for um, a little while, and then I came in, and so yeah, you know, we're we're going through these situations, where we're both, we just want our babies to be okay, we just want to be okay, and we're not, and so we bonded, and she was lovely, but this one day, they come in and they're doing a routine check and there's a curtain there and i can hear them saying okay we're just going to do a check and see how your cervix is and she's she's groaning and i'm groaning for some reason i don't know why it was just like my fibroid was sinking with her whatever was happening and she's saying to them oh i think i'm going into labor they're like no no you're fine it's just oh no you're fine and she's like, no, no, I think I'm going into labor. Mind you, this chick has had a child before, so I'm sure she knows what labor is. And so the nurse or the doctor's checking, they're like, no, no, you're okay. No, no, it's just, you know, next minute they're like, oh, code pink, code pink. Oh my gosh, I'm even getting a chill saying this again. Next minute, code pink, code pink, because this lady is literally giving birth right there. So, So then... I felt like I was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy or something because um, they, they pressed a button, the announcement goes off, then like a thousand people came into the room. Like it felt like a thousand. They come in, they're wheeling stuff and then... Uh, like just a mad panic and then I'm still in pain people I cannot physically walk I can't get out of my bed I'm watching another woman at 24 weeks give birth and I'm at 26 weeks and they're watching me in case I give birth and so (laughs) I start hearing this woman give birth and 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 I'm like what oh I didn't know what to do eventually somebody twigs like oh shit um we better get her out, so then all of a sudden, I'm like, these guys come, and they, un, you know, unpack the bed, or whatever they do, like, all the latches, or whatever, and I'm wheeled out into a corridor, literally, I'm just sitting in the middle of, like, a corridor, um, like, a little waiting corridor thing facing a window, and, like, guys, <laughs> it was just, like, <laughs> oh my god it was pretty full-on and so I think I sat there for about an hour because my partner wasn't there at the time I don't think he was and I think somebody came to check up on me which is fair enough and stuff but then that lady ended up giving birth so then she had her her baby early And um, then they had to move her to another room. They had to, you know, move the baby to another unit. And all my stuff's in my room. Like my bags, my everything. Like I had nothing on me. And then finally, you know, I don't know how much longer it was, but they finally came back to get me and they wheeled me back into the room. And I'm just like uh, a bit traumatized. Still in pain, now knowing this woman's given birth, freaking out that I'm gonna give birth. And um Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty intense. And no joke, so I'm in there by myself that night and I can hear the cleaners come in. So the cleaners come in and they're cleaning and the curtain's still there. Obviously there's been blood everywhere, so they're cleaning and blah blah blah. And I'm just like <sighs> it was just the most bizarre thing. And then um and then somebody else came to stay in the room that night so another woman came in and I didn't really get to speak to her because I was so tired Um, so she stayed there only maybe another night or so and then she left and then about a day or so later the African lady came back and it was great it was great to see her she was fine it was also a bit traumatic for her but her baby was doing well uh, but now they were saying she couldn't stay at the hospital because they just don't have the space, so she had to, you know, go home every night and then come back in and see her baby. Um, if like that's that's how it normally works, and um, it was it was pretty it was a pretty interesting time. I know I, I'm, I'm trying to work out you know where am I going with the story. I think I just wanted to share that. Um, pregnancy childbirth motherhood it's real and you know if we were back home in the villages in Africa with our aunties our mothers grandmothers you know you'd have a lot of people around you to support you and and you know guide you and I must say When I was in hospital and I felt the same for this woman, it wasn't quite the same. We had people coming in. We had friends, people who loved us. But that's probably when I missed being around African family the most Um, and just having people there. Honestly, I I don't want to say that those of my friends who came and visited weren't lovely. They were amazing. but There was something about just knowing, you know, you had people around you who'd been through some other things, your aunties or your moms. And yeah, that that wasn't there at that time. So that's that's my story. I know it's ending on a kind of an odd note with that story. I, I just wanted to share what I went through because that's kind of the tone we want to set for this podcast is to talk about the real things because we don't have all our extended families and female support systems around and we are trying to create a space where we can talk about the real things and then help each other find the resources and um, the information that we need or even just to have a person just a person to say oh my gosh I'm going through this or you know just hear me or just see me and that's that's what I needed last year and I didn't have it and now I'm hoping that I can be that for someone else so that's it for this episode. Um I know it was a bit like, huh, ah, what? A bit different, but uh I think it's an important story to tell. I have a feeling we're gonna hear a lot more stories like this um on the on the podcast. It not it won't always be interviews. We'll have reflections, we'll have people come through and just do solo recordings. And yeah, if you have a story that you want to share, please, please let me know and I can organize uh, I can organize getting a recording done. And so you can email us at vanamaivillage at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram. We are at vanamai.village and uh, you can send through a direct message if you need to. And also, we now have a Facebook group. It's a private one, uh, but you should be able to find it if you just look for Wanamai Village. And then you just answer a couple of questions and then will let you in and that village on facebook is meant to be just a cozy space that we can then um, throw our questions or we can look for people to be in the episodes or you can just share things that are a lot more private than on the instagram uh, page so that's it from me for today and i hope you enjoy listening to the rest of the the podcast episodes we've got got lots more topics to come and uh, yeah this is definitely a joy sharing with you and i hope that uh, I hope that it it helps you too. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Bye.